HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Sunday. Excuse me while I choke to death. <laughs> You're a modern day Philip Seymour so, Hoffman. You're so, oh, oh no. man, too soon, Daddy O, too soon. We just got the news 30 seconds ago. <laughs> the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Over it. The Philip Seymour Hoffman Memorial Show shall commence. <laughs> but today, more importantly, is the greatest sporting event of all time the Kitten Bowl. At- and the puppy ball. The puppy yeah. ball, yeah. A close second, the puppy ball. <laughs> Penguin cheerleaders. I can't Is that wait. true? Yeah. I'm making dip. Sickening. <laughs> Judy's making dip for the penguin cheerleaders. <laughs> for my friend. Iceberg lettuce, I hope. No, 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 no. A, ni- a nice wedge. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a baked brie with some apples. Who knows? You're going to make them dip with uh, like Lipton soup mix? No. And some some breakstone you know, sour cream. It's, it's hard to find that kind of lowbrow um, ingredients in Williamsburg. Is that true? <laughs> our, our, yeah. our, our artisanal dried <laughs> yeah. onion soup mix. I could find something, you know, uh, yeah, dried onions on the the pubes of chocolatiers. <laughs> I have like I have a feeling today is going to be a good, a good day. Well, I'm just sad it's going to be our last Mike Edison day for a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm going to be on the disabled list for a while, but we'll get to that later. Okay, but first. Let's welcome our guest, Michael Malice. Internationally acclaimed superstar political memoirist, Michael New York, Malice. New York Times bestselling author, whose new book is called Dear Reader, The Unauthorized Autobiography of Kim Jong-il. It's true. This is fantastic. I have been so excited about this book since you started the Kickstarter campaign, yep. which I enthusiastically did not contribute to. I did. <laughs> Unenthusiastically. <Hence> my book. <laughs> 
I have a copy of the book. She has it in hand. Well, there you go. That's that proof that the Kickstarter works. It I did mean, work. I'm the first person to deliver on their Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Amanda Palmer delivered, oh, okay. didn't she? <laughs> yeah. Well, the book looks fantastic, and Mazel Tov. Thank you so much. It's, it's great. I'm very, very, very proud of it. All right. So for everybody out in Radio Land, tell us about this unauthorized Autobiography. Autobiography. So by nature, I write books, help celebrities write their own autobiographies. So my friend gave me the idea, hey, you should do Kim Jong-il's autobiography. So usually when you do an autobiography, you sit down with the person, interview them, you help them write, so on and so forth. I couldn't do that with the dear leader. He's deceased, and they would not let me. But he's left voluminous writings, and there's many books written about him in North Korea. So basically, I just adapted all that stuff, 60 books in total, hundreds of articles, thousands of years of Korean history. And I did a first-person account of his life, and it works out perfectly because he was born at the end of World War II and died in 2011. So his life, it covers the history of North Korea. So there are no pop books out there that tell you everything you need to know about the country until now. So you can fairly say this is the greatest book about North Korea ever written. (laughs) (laughs) And and we will. Now, you've actually been to North Korea. I have been to North Korea. I highly recommend anyone who's even moderately interested to go. It's legal. It is completely safe. If you killed someone, you would just be deported. Uh, And everything you will see is interesting. You will not have a moment where you won't be stimulated or be like, what am I looking at? Were you... What were your what were your impressions like when you got there? Were you, did, how did it differ from what what you thought it would look like? Uh, the craziest part is is that they don't have electricity, so you're in a metropolis without electricity. So it's it's just that's something it's very hard to describe or wrap your head around. And also the fact that you know every everything is shabby. There's a fly everywhere. There was even a fly in the plane. There's a crack everywhere. Uh, the sidewalks. So it's in the state of disrepair. Everything has a little scent to it, like a basement, uh, which is hard to describe. But it's just. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating. You've got to explain this no electricity thing a little bit more. Okay. What do um, they do at night? Uh, I, I, like, and whatever they're told. <laughs> okay, one, one thing we should sort out here, too, because, I mean, so far we're, I mean, we're having a nice laugh about your book, which is obviously a great – I mean, it, it is funny, but it's this is not a funny book, and it's right. not a funny story, right, so, and it's not a farce. It's not a satire. It is a farce. Well, uh, it's so people ask me, "Is this a satire?" And no, I'm playing it straight. However, when you play what they present as the truth to be straight, that is farcical. You know, when they tell yes. you that Korea is the first government on earth, when they tell you that of all the nations in the world, Korea is the only one that has had a pure blood for five thousand years, that is something that is completely farcical. Um, and a lot of their stuff is farcical. However, to their great credit, and this is something I was very surprised to learn, a few people uh, know they instead of sweeping things on the rug, they have answers for all the criticisms of them. So they t- they. In the book, I put forward, you know, the objections to North Korea, and he addresses them head on, and and their propaganda takes it on. Of course, it might not be true, uh, but there is certainly logical coherence to what they say, which, frankly, I think makes it more chilling rather than less. Definitely. I mean, I'm looking at the back of the book because I didn't get a chance to read it yet since I just got it. It's brand new, hot off the presses. Um he, I mean, what it, can you just explain his miraculous rainbow-filled birth? I don't understand that at all. Well, a lot of the North Korean propaganda takes their cues from Christianity, of course. Uh, Judy doesn't understand because she's an atheist, so she doesn't understand this she was. Concept. I'm sure she was raised <laughs> uh, knowing a lot about the Bible, you know. Yeah, I'm Jesus, sure Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> yeah. These so, things happen all the time, Judy. So they do have a Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. There's a North Korean trinity, which is Kim Jong-il, the son, Kim Il-sung, the father, and his mother, anti-Japanese heroine Kim Jong-suk who's always pictured with a gun in her hand because she was a crack shot. Uh, so they're very highly militaristic. So when he was born, Kim Jong-il, there was a new star in the sky and, and all these miracles occurred and everyone was so excited because it, it was the prophecy that the sun would come to defeat the Jap devils. Uh, and when he was born, the Jap devils were quaking in their boots. 
Uh, so they very, very heavily borrowed from Christianity. In fact, Kim Il-sung, uh, the founder of North Korea, was you know had missionaries in his family. And, and Pyongyang back in the day was known as the Jerusalem of the East because there was so much Christianity there. Of course, once they took over, uh, they would preach that Christianity, which teaches you to turn the other cheek, is just a way to make a nation weak. And these people are poisoned and must be killed. And they were killed. What about how does how does the son compare to the father? Well, that's a very very interesting. Uh, the son, the incumbent dictator. Uh, oh, you mean Kim Jong Un? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the current. Well, there's this a third one. You know, we're on right now the third generation. Right, it's Kim okay. Il Sung who founded the country, Kim Jong Il, who Jung-il. I wrote about, and then Kim Jong Un, the right. current one. Uh, the current one is really kind of a, a tricky situation um, because you know Korea is a very very kind of respect your elders. Uh, you know, like many East Asian countries, society. So the fact that there's this like 30 year old kid running the show, uh, even people there, you know, they're not brainwashed there. They can think for themselves very readily and they understand this is something that's just kind of even unprecedented in North Korean standards and pretty wacky. So why was he selected? Okay, so basically, what, there's a, Americans think that North Korea is governed by something called the DPRK Constitution, but it's actually governed by the Ten Commandments of Kim Il sung. And the Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt follow through the revolution, uh, through the generations, following the Mount Paektu blood, bloodline. So, there, you know, people think of North Korea as a communist country. They don't identify as communist any longer. And, and basically, they have every element of fascism. And one of the elements of fascism they follow through is purity of the blood. Uh, you know, they're preserving Koreanists while the South Koreans are being raped by Americans and given AIDS by our AIDS-filled soldiers and, and turning them into prostitutes. Uh, so the fact that he had Kim Jong-il's blood in his, in his veins is really what made him take over, plus his aunt, Kim Jong-il's sister, is behind the scenes kind of managing the show, so, whose husband just got killed, you know, was, well, was killed. But she, right, that's, that's, she that's, that's spared. The, that's well, the, I, yeah, that's her husband. I mean, she, she drove her daughter to suicide. This woman is no joke. So, and they also have a caste system. Based on the circumstances of what your grandparents are doing in the 50s, they had something called the Understanding People Project, which is a great Orwellian term. So basically, they, they interviewed everyone in the country, literally everyone, determined what your family was doing up to the second cousins, and based on that, you were given a ranking, like a credit ranking, on, based on your loyalty to the state. And that determines whether you go to college, whether you get married, all these things. Purely based on the circumstances of your blood, kind of like Planet of the Apes. You got your orangutans, you got your gorillas, yeah, you chimpanzees. But they have the educated class, and then there's yep. the giver of the law, of course. And they have the core class, the wavering class, and the hostile class, and it determines where you live in the country. And the hostile class were in the northeast, and when the famine hit, they weren't delivered any food because you know why give them food because they're going to be hostile to us. But they're not in concentration camps. No, but so, they are effectively they're blockaded right. from the world, and they're not they're denied food. So I mean, it's it's not that much better. So, so well, what can we actually believe? I mean, we hear this news about the, the, the incumbent who threw his uncle to a bunch of dogs, and we hear that he killed his whole family. How, I mean, I'm very wary to believe anything at all I hear regarding North Korea, no matter what the source at this point. Right. Well, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, uh, and you could go to Kim Jong-il book to look at it, .com to look at it. Everything they do <laughs> makes... Nice. Well, you're welcome. Uh, everything Kim they Jong-il. do... Book. Kim Jong-il book. Kim Jong-il book. Book.com. <laughs> Book. Yeah, he invented a new domain <laughs> extension. <laughs> no, uh, everything that they do makes sense. Uh, and, and there's two types of ways of calling someone crazy. Crazy means someone who's erratic and, and doesn't make sense and they just do random things. But crazy also means delusional but predictable. And they're very much the second and people think they're the first. And, and if you, you know, I, I, everything that I, you can kind of predict what they're going to do. So the thing with the uncle and, and his family being killed, they have something called the Yangoje, which means in North Korea, when you go to, to prison or to the camps, they take three generations of your family. They've been doing this for decades. They, and you don't, the thing is, when you're in the camps, you don't know which one of you got you sent to the camps. 
because they just take the families vanish in the middle of the night. So there's no trial. They just the cops come at your door, take the three generations, and now they don't even. T- Some people aren't sent to the camps for life. They get released after a while, but you don't know who did what. Does that turn people against other family members? Like, do they? I mean, what are the camps like? Obviously, they, you didn't go on a tour of those sure. in North Korea. I mean, the camps are, you know, I hate this that when people do these kind of comp- suffering competitions, like which is worse, slavery or the Holocaust. But I mean, this is on the par of anything the Nazis had. I mean, the children, they still have to go to school and then they have to report to work. But, the, you know, children, if they have corn in their pocket, they stole are beaten to death in front of their class. You know, if you are if you are raped, you're not allowed to have sex with the guard. So you, the woman, will be beaten to death. Uh, you know, they send men to mines where they will never see sunlight again, like literally. Uh, so it's an absolute, absolute uh, nightmare. And the fact that people want to talk about Dennis Rodman and not this is just something I can find completely baffling. I agree. And I want to reinforce again that the idea of the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il sounds very funny. It sounds like like classic National Lampoon And it is thing. funny. It's, well, of course, it's farcical. It's hilarious. Well, it's yes. farcical because of the propaganda and, and, and everything else. But the reality of this country is not a joke. And that that's right. And then one of the funnest things about this book is having him in that same gleeful tone where he talks about his birth, talk about you know, censorship, you know, the, the metaphor I have him use is like, look, you don't have rotten food in your cupboards. Why would you have books full of outdated ideas, right? That's not, that's not censorship. That's progress. So it's the same. I, I wanted to keep that fun pop tone because it's such a dark story. And I think that kind of adds to it when you're listening to this, like, maniac, just be like, it's great that we don't have concentration camps. We have camps where people are concentrated because that double talk is something God. that's very unique to them. There's a certain, no, there, there's a certain glee to the way they run oh, this country. Oh, yes, absolutely. And Absolutely. if you listen to these guys, listen to the propaganda, and listen to the way they refer to themselves, right? It's and you know it's a, it's a real cult of personality, of course. Of course. And they say we don't like to have bad news because it upsets the people. And and what's interesting, you said that cult of personality. This was an issue in the fifties when Khrushchev took over in the Soviet Union. The Soviets started attacking North Korea, being like this cult of personality is nonsense, and they're like, screw you, we're the real Stalinists. <laughs> you guys are traitors, you know. And they stuck, yeah, yeah, and they, you know what, Khrushchev compared to North Korea is a pussy. Yeah, one took over the line. Yeah. You guys have gone too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to take a break, and we're going to hear Engineer Joe's fantastic new record. And we're going to come back and talk about a little bit of pop culture in North Korea, some uh, of the music Right, so and it's Arts art. and Seizures with uh, our guest Michael Malice, Jude Bukhari, is Mike Edison. This is The Big Ups. Can you dig it? <laughs> Weird comes and it takes its hold, and I'm afraid of getting old. 
And then suddenly I need a way out Cause I can't just let my memories fade in and fade out I need something new But I'm stuck with what to do Can you dig it? That was the big ups starring Joe Galarraga, King of the Engineers. Congratulations, in- Joe. It sounds really amazing. Oh, yeah. thank you, guys. Right, so this is seizures, and you're going to be out on tour, right, Joe? Yeah, we're leaving uh, February 22nd to go to the UK, so I'll uh, miss you awesome. guys. Wow. You can still listen to us in the UK, Joe. Oh, I know. <laughs> but I won't be here, you know, experiencing the magic. <laughs> experiencing the beauty that they is They have us. the internet in the UK. Do they have the internet in Korea? Uh, they, there's like a less than 100 people in, in North Korea that are on the internet. But oh, they like my book cover on Instagram, which is terrifying. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm like, you've been officially approved? I don't know if I, maybe I that person so. got in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So just whose radar are you on with, with this? I, I really hate the pun there because I hope I'm not literally on anyone's radar. Um, but there's they they're very very savvy of the internet and the rest of the world. They keep track of their you know what's going on. Like for example, there's some books I read as research that referred to crazy articles they had, and when I looked up these articles, they've been pulled from the web. So they. Are they know what's going on, how people perceive them? They play into it. They play Americans like a fiddle, often, you know. Because if you convince other people that you're crazy, uh, then anything you can do, anything, and then people are going to be scared of you. Yeah, I mean, he just seemed. What uh, is this? This is, uh, this is some Korean music. Is this the world envies us? Yes, I believe it is. It's not the big ups. It's like disco. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing. These videos that come out of there are these like children or like virtuosic displays of music that are you know better than anything you're going to see in America's Got Talent. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, North Korea's got more talent apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or the, yeah, they, I mean, they really much scout the kids and, and teach them from an early age. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that particularly. I mean, these kids well, and the family. Well, the kids and their families are rewarded with food, so mm-hmm. you know what? I mean, it, it's better than some of these. What you, I'd rather have that than the Gary Coleman experience. You know, as we sit here at Roberta's restaurant eating the Beastmaster pizza, <laughs> privileged round eyes that we are, <laughs> U.S. imperialists. So, looking at the back cover of your book, Kim Jong Il. Hated the Mona Lisa. He did hate the Mona Lisa. In fact, I asked my mom, Mona Lisa, who, that bitch. <laughs> I, I, I asked my mom, who grew up in the Soviet Union. You know, I, I was born there as well. And I go, "Can you guess why Kim Jong Il hated the Mona Lisa?" And she took this five second pause and she goes, "Because its message isn't clear." And that's exactly it. Because the Mona Lisa is a cryptic smile, but it, art has to have a message for the viewer. So true. Ambiguity is not something the fascists ever embrace. That's correct. It's wow. like it's going to be confusing. And this might have been a masterpiece in its day and age, but nowadays, you know, just take one look at her and you know she's hiding something yes cryptic that cryptic and where are the eyebrows where are the eyebrows so there's a whole rant in the book about his art teachers teaching about it and he's just denouncing it and everyone applauds this is him in middle school by the way yeah oh i can't wait to read this so what, what is with this whole um dennis rodman boondoggle i mean how does this even happen why are people even paying attention I, why have they embraced him and why has he not been called out in the carpet in the united states of america I, i'm not a particular fan of this president but to me the idea that anyone can go on tv and say kim jong-un is waiting for your call president obama is so reprehensible uh not even forgetting that kim jong-un's a dictator i mean this is someone who just literally killed his own family members so i mean that enough is a deal breaker for me yeah um Let's also not forget that North Korea is the most racist country in the world, uh, beyond belief. 
you know, they it's the most homogenous country in the world. Not, you know, not you know those two things obviously go hand in hand frequently. Um, so the fact that Dennis Rodman is on TV, I think, feeds into the stigmatization and the kind of this carnival aspect that goes around North Korea. But this carnival is really the problem, uh, and that's not what we should be focusing on, in my view. Uh, I'd rather, you know, that they be not as wacky and, and be a little freer and not have to worry about but, their lives. But one thing, I mean, one good thing about the Dennis Rodman bullshit is that a lot of pe- it has a lot of people thinking, I mean, he has been given some trouble in the papers and otherwise people wouldn't even read about North Korea because they're busy reading about the Kardashians. Well, that's stuff. not true because right before uh, Dennis Rodman went over, like Eric Schmidt, the head of Google, went over. And if you guys look on Google Maps, you can see all the concentration camps clearly marked. And North Korea, right after that happened, the Dennis Rodman stuff came out. And I know that was Vice. But also, that's when they started threatening nukes. We're going to nuke Austin and all this right. other stuff. So they really knew how to you know, ch- uh, change the subject, the conversation very well. And by the way, their official position about concentration camps is we don't use that term, so therefore there aren't any. That is literally their statement to the UN Human Rights. It's a lot like Fox <laughs> News. You know what you do is it's not what you do. What you do is you, you tell a fallacy and then you ref- tell no, it again the second time. No. You reference your first reference as the source. It is, and not- therefore it's true. It's nothing like Fox News. It's nothing like Mayor. Blo- I've had people compare him to Mayor Bloomberg and Schumer. It's just like <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not being that far. But as a propaganda technique, I said it. Therefore, it is true. No, I don't think it's a propaganda technique so much as it's just Orwellian it's like tautology. Like- yeah, it's semantics, right? Like, yeah, uh, well, that, that's it. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. I said it, therefore it is true. You know? I mean, and that's it. And it, it was on TV, therefore it was true. Like professional wrestling, like we're talking about. Yeah. If you saw it, therefore it's real. Right, right. These can't all be, this can't all be staged. Yeah. Right. Right. They know, do have those potential. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's sad. And again, I want to say that, I mean, the book is a forest and, and it is obviously a very amusing idea and it's great. And, and, I, and I think it's great. Congratulations. I think it, Thank it's, you. It's, it's, it was an incredibly, uh, you know, great idea and well executed. But the reality is not. You know, it's not, not funny. And, and people don't understand the reality. That's why my book fills in. Because there's, again, the only other books about North Korea are either very, very dark and depressing, though superb, like Nothing to Envy is this wonderful book, or they're like kind of dense collegiate books, like Under the Loving Care of the Fatherly Leader, which is 900 pages and, and you know, just a brick. Uh, so this is something you can read in the beach and or bathroom and get a complete understanding of the country did and you, its history. Did you understand when you started the project just how dark it would be? Did it change your opinion? What did you learn? I did not have any idea how dark it really was. And then when I left North Korea, I was kind of crying on the plane. And I'm like, why am I crying on the plane? Why is this bothering so much? And I come from the Ayn Rand school where, like, you know, suffering is something to have contempt for. And I realized I had this kind of survivor's guilt, you know, because I was born in the Soviet Union. I'm Jewish. Those are two chances for me to be kind of incarcerated Mm -hmm. in a camp against my will. And the fact is, by flip of a coin, I got out and these people are still there 70 years later. Uh, So it's just something that, you know, it's just amazing that people are not you know taken very seriously and again the book isn't is is the the context is serious but the the subtext is serious but the context is not so i mean it's a lot a lot of fun and and a lot of lol moments like you know when you know he reinvented the opera he invented he teaches you how to do magic correctly how to do he was so busy but he really was because everything that happens in that country is by a function of his will like his will is the law so his fingerprints almost literally on everything in fact they boast that if you have a map of his travels it would cover the whole nation because he's everywhere micromanaging everything and these stories are hilarious because the only way to make him great is to present the entire nation as being learning disabled right so he 
he's trying to be an architect, and they say, we have the, the other architects, like, we have a plan, this tower will be the second tallest in the world, and he goes, let's make it the tallest. They go, we've never thought of that. My God, what a <laughs> genius. This guy's amazing. I mean, I, that's what it takes to make him the smartest kid who ever lived. I'm very interested in his ability to shrink time. Yes, okay, this is great. So this is a story that I'm reading, so... They say his father during the, uh, the anti- years of anti-Japanese struggle could shrink space, that he could teleport, right? Uh, they kind of allude to that. They don't translate those stories that much because they know those are really crazy. So he learned from his father how to shrink space so he could shrink time. And there's a story. He's, he's at a conference and there's a speaker and he's reading over notes and people are, want his attention for signatures, for bills. And the speakers keep stopping. And he goes, why are you stopping? He goes, well, you're doing all these other things. He goes, no, I could do three things at once. And they said from that point on, Kim Jong-il didn't look at time as a plane, P-L-A-N-E, but as a cube and that he had the ability to shrink time when i told my friend this she goes does he mean multitasking and yes that's exactly what he means <laughs> and, and so even something which i'm sure he's superb at i'm sure every world leader is superb at the fact that it, even something that mundane has to be presented it's in magical. these magical <laughs> and apparently no one in north korea can multitask it's unprecedented they can only do one thing yes. at a time yeah he can't listen and read <laughs> Yeah. So where, where can uh, are you going to be taking this on the road at all? Can we come see you? Um, I'm setting up a, a talk at the Strand, uh, and hopefully I'm going to be giving a talk at the Bitcoin Center also, um, of all places. Before you're talking about you're doing some uh, Jewish press. and uh, I'm going to be on the Jewish channel. Yeah, I have to set that up is, too. Is there, is there a strong connection somehow between the oppression in this book and the Jewish experience? Is that what's uh, uh, Well, I, I, right I think mo- most certainly, like, you know, when we wring our hands how the Holocaust happened, well, this is happening now, and, and people want to talk about some stupid basketball player. Ooh, listen. No, what is this? It's Korean Fiddle? children. Oh, I thought it was oh, on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Tiki Disco today. <laughs> no, no, it's Kitten Ball and Puppy Ball today. <laughs> so, I mean, the Kitten Ball and the Puppy Ball not happening in, the, uh, in North Korea. That is true. They, they, they do have kittens, though. Uh, very few. Few kittens. Uh, I mean, during the famine, it, I mean, it degenerated yeah. to cannibalism. I'm sure all the pets got yeah. eaten. Yeah, I'm sure, like, most... Most living things are looked at as yeah. a potential. Meal. I mean, if you're, you're at the point where you're eating saccharin just to fight hunger, I mean, you're, I would, of course, not even blink about eating animals. Is there a solution to this? I mean, is there ever I mean, going to be a political solution there, to help the people of North Korea? There's no solution whatsoever. There was this Hemingway line where he said, where it said, how did you go bankrupt? And he goes two ways, uh, gradually, then suddenly. And if you look at the Civil War, what happened to the slaves after the Civil War, it's like, yeah, they were freed. But like, how long did it take until they had any kind of semblance of normalcy? So it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better sorry i don't i don't there's no happy ending here do you think his um do you think that kim the the kim jong-un is is like more aggressive than his dad was do you feel like he's gonna drive it to a breaking point sooner but i i mean my point? my point is if you are having a famine and you're perfectly happy with 10 percent of your population starving in the streets that is a breaking point i mean you've doubled down and you said i would rather have the state than than people have food and in fact they they even said we don't want people to be able to feed themselves because that would take away their dependence on the government uh so this was a conscious choice by them they wouldn't let the u.n see what the food was going and all these other things so uh he was chosen he's the third son you know he's the youngest he was chosen specifically Specifically because of his loyalty to the regime. So he's absolutely going to double down. And in fact, you know, he's worse in a sense because Kim Jong-il battled his uncle for years to see who would be the one to take over. And Kim Jong-il won out, but he didn't kill his uncle. You know, he sent his uncle to be an ambassador, I think, to Poland now. So this is, uh, is, but again, it's the sister who's the problem in the background. What about the the two older brothers? I would imagine they should be watching their asses. Well, the the eldest one is the one who got caught in Japan where he said he was going to Disneyland, which was was a lie. And the middle brother is gay or, or gay 
ish. They call him, well, they say he's a sissy who's too much of a quote unquote girl to take over such a militaristic country, Kim Jong Chul. And he's actually an Eric Clapton groupie who follows him around. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, I'm sorry. Uh, so it, it, they would be a. I mean, and the eldest son specifically said, we need reform. Uh, you know, we need more openness. And Kim Jong-il told him, if you want openness, open a window. Um, so that was why he got passed over, which was kind of unusual. In a sick way, loving Eric Clapton's sort of like fetishism of like weird Western music makes sense. No, it's... it's when you don't have it, no, it's like... It's fetishizing children dying. Well, Eric Clapton's children dying? Yeah, that's the song, Tears in Heaven, right? He had his kid died. Yeah, he oh, yeah. fell out the window. He was probably listening to Layla at the time. All right. <laughs> It's been a great show. So, Judy, I'm sorry to say I'm not going to see you for a couple weeks. I'm going to be on the DL. Um, <clears throat> all this hollering and hooting and chatting um, has left me at the mercy of the New York University Medical Center Voice Center. So, uh, Monday, they're going to take some lasers and knives and Lord knows what to me. Um, but I'll be back before you know it. For our Academy Award show. For our show. Academy awesome. Award show. So, uh, Michael, you going to come and sit in for me maybe Absolutely. one week? Absolutely. I'll be the mic. On the mic. Excellent. So back to Mike and Judy. <laughs> well, right on. I have to get Michael Gonzalez in here one week. Mike Albo. Like all our mics. Mike McPadden. It's good. It's yeah. good. It's a, cl- it's a very limited club. Yeah. It's very limited. It's well, good listen, work if you can get it. One, once again, it's Michael Malice. The book is Dear Reader. It's the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il. And tell us where we can find Kim, you on the uh, interweb yeah, if, a, you're in, if you're in a free country. I'm at michaelmalice.com, kimjongilbook.com. It's on Amazon. And keep an eye. I'm sure we'll see you in the New York Times and Rolling Stone in uh, 60 Minutes. <laughs> or all three. Definitely 60 we, Minutes. And, and the movie? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's in the works. Have they seen Team America? Do you think they're sitting around watching Team America over oh, there? Uh, you know, it's, 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 yeah, I think Team America. Well, I think Team America kind of put North Korea in the con- public consciousness. That's so there's true. something to be said for that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, America. Fuck yeah. Once again, it's... Uh, <laughs> For Judy McGuire, Michael Mouse, Joe, the king of the engineers in the booth, go see his band, The Big Ups, this is Mike Edison on Arts and Seizures. I'll see you guys in a few weeks. We'll come back next week to hear Mike and Judy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.